All right, Romans. If you've got your Bible, Romans chapter 16 as we begin this last chapter. And I hope you've enjoyed our study in Romans. I know I've enjoyed going through it with you. And um, there is just so much here. Now, keep in mind the book of Romans, as we have mentioned many times, is that it is written to a local church of believers in the city of Rome. It's not written to Roman Catholics, okay? Not written to the Pope. It's, it's written to those who had trusted Jesus Christ alone as Savior in the city of Rome. And Paul was addressing these believers there. Jesus Christ was their Savior. And I've entitled this today, When the Unnoticed Are Noticed. When the Unnoticed Are Noticed. One Bible teacher said this when he came to Romans 16, and I was impressed. I thought, I, I want to share this with you because it was a blessing to me. He said this, and I quote, Paul has left the mountain peaks of doctrine to come down to the pavements of Rome. Here we see Christianity in action. The great doctrines which Paul proclaimed are not missiles for outer space. They are vehicles which actually operated on Roman roads, unquote. That is powerful and that is true because, listen folks, it's one thing to learn the great truths of God, it's another to now put those into your life and live out those things. God has given us the word of God, not just for information, he's given us the word of God for transformation, for transformation. And what we have in the first part of Romans 16 is a list of people who labored with the Apostle Paul. But it is much more than a list. I almost hate calling it a list. It is a list, but it's much more than that. These were real everyday Christians who were faithful as believers to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the gospel message. They were fellow soldiers in the work of God. Now, some of the names have details attached to them. Others do not. I know I've mentioned this before, but when you come to a list of names in Scripture, don't just, just you know, like put it on fast forward and, brrr, okay, they're done. I'm past those people. Let's move on. These are real people like you and me, okay? I came over this thought this week, and I thought, you know, there's probably not a one of us, there's some would maybe deny it, but there's probably not a one of us if I said to you, hey, you know what? Your name was in the newspaper, or your name was on the news this week, or I saw your name on the internet, you know, chances are you would probably be interested and wonder, I want to see that. Now, I know that sounds carnal, and it might sound vain, but let's face it, we're carnal and vain, okay? You would want to know, oh, you would like to see that. You would like to see that. Well, imagine this. These people here in Romans 16 are not famous in the world's eyes, but they're regular everyday believers and God saw fit to put their names and leave them in the eternal word of God. Now think about that. The truth of it is, I don't think any of us would mind that. I think that would be wonderful. Now, if it was in a good light, of course, if your name was something like Jezebel or Judas, maybe not. Okay. Uh, No, Lord, you can keep that part out. But anyway, so important to understand that, regular people. Now in Romans 16, it says this, Paul says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, 
which is at Sancreae. Sancreae was the eastern harbor of Corinth. It was about eight miles from Corinth. And you notice it says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church. Now it is worth noting in this passage that there are many women mentioned in Romans chapter 16. Many women mentioned. Now I know some men say that, well, you know, women in the church are all busybodies and this and that. Let me tell you something, friends. There are some women, obviously, who can become busybodies just like men can be bumps on a log, lethargic slugs who don't do anything, who don't live for Christ, who do not lead like they should. And I thank God for every woman in our church who's serving the Lord. And I thank God for everyone. And I thank God for every man that's doing it because that's the plan of God. And uh, they were very valuable, actually, in the eyes of God. Some were single that we see listed here. Some were married. But they were all faithful. Single, married, yeah, and above all, faithful. What's the point? Here's the point. While Scripture is clear that leadership of the local church is to be men, women play an absolutely vital role in the work of God. They're not on the sidelines, but they are active in the ministry, beginning at home and then branching out from there with different opportunities and different ministries within the church. Of course, appropriate to their situation as women. Now it says in verse two, that you receive her in the Lord. Paul says he commends unto them Phoebe, our sister. He says that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you for she hath been a secure, a helper of many and of myself also. So the first one mentioned here is Phoebe. Phoebe was a faithful woman in the Lord's work. Now, it seems from the text that she was single as well. What does this say for those of you who are females and um, even widows? Well, can I tell you this? If you're a female, you are widow. Uh, You might say, well, you know, my, my spouse passed away, went home to be with the Lord, and I'm just kind of stuck. I'm just kind of here. What can I do? Well, I can tell you what you can do. You can serve Christ. You can serve Christ. There is a ministry for you. It is finding or accepting the opportunities to serve that come your way. And when those opportunities are there that you say, okay, you can count on me. And then what do you do? You do it wholeheartedly for the Lord. There is a place. You know, I have mentioned this many times to a lot of our seniors when we've had our senior saints ministry what can you do? Well, can I tell you, there are things, because some of them feel as they get older, and I, and I get this, you get older and you think, you know, I can't do what I used to do. I used to be able to do this, or I used to be able to come to all the meetings, and I can't anymore. My, I got physical limitations, and so on and so forth. And I completely get that, you know? Here's what you can do. Well, number one, you can share the gospel. Every Christian should do that and can do that. You can support Financially, if you're able to. If you're not able to, that's another situation. You can pray. The church needs prayer. I need prayer. Pray for the church. Pray for the ministry. Pray for the missionaries. These are things every Christian can do, okay? You can invite people out to church. 
And you can take on whatever opportunity you can do. No, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And it's those who are plugged in some way. Now you might say, oh, see, but we always think in terms of a a specific organized type ministry. No, friend, no, it doesn't have to be that. It can be simple things. The things I just mentioned, anybody can do them. And God wants us to do them. Phoebe was an assistant or a helper to many. She was a helper even to the apostle Paul. Now, he didn't think in terms of her, oh, you know what, here's a, here's a woman, she's a busybody, this and that. No, he said she is a valued person in ministry. And you notice she is a servant. She's a servant. The word servant in verse one is the same Greek word for the word that we get the formal office in the church for deacon. And in the word that simply means, it means a servant. Now, can women be actually deacons in the church? You might say, oh, don't go into those waters, pastor. You know what? Honestly, biblically, it's nowhere in scripture that a woman can actually be a deacon. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, that an official office of deacon is only for men, not for women. Well, I don't like that. That's this, that's that, that's discriminatory. Oh, you know what? Uh, Listen, just be quiet. Believe what God says on this. Why do we think our opinions are of such high value? Isn't the biggest thing, what does God say about this? Listen to every woman who's here. You can do the ministry of a deacon without having a title because all the word deacon means is servant. But you see, some people would rather have a title than do the work. No, it's more important that we do the work and forget about the titles. Forget about the titles. That's the truth of it. And by the way, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says deacons, and specifically it's talking about the office in the local church, and they are to be the husbands of one wife. Now, in light of biblical morality and biblical teaching, there's no way that that could be a woman. It's referring to a man. By the way, it's also clear in Acts chapter 6 when the first deacons were uh, appointed. But they can do, uh, listen, any woman in the church, any believer who's a woman in the church can do the work of a deacon because it simply means be a servant. Be a servant. And really, this is for all of us, okay? It means you serve the needs of those in the ministry. And that's what it's about anyway, regardless of whether you have a title or you don't have a title. Now, what about those who are married, though? I'm talking about people who are not full-time vocational, on the payroll, whatever you want to call it. What about those outside of that? What about those who work secular jobs? Is there a place, is there a ministry for them? Well, of course, the answer is obviously, yes, there is. As a matter of fact, these people are the ones who make up the majority of a church. Can I tell you this this morning? You are invaluable to the success of this ministry. You're invaluable. It's not just pastoral staff. It's everybody. That's the way God wants it to be. So we see about, God answers the question, what about those who are married? We see that answered in verses three through five. And this leads us to our second people who are mentioned by name, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. They are the most talked about couple in the New Testament. 
Now, there was another couple that was talked about who were, uh, we would put them on the side of infamous, right? Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. They didn't last very long. But Aquila and Priscilla were amazing couple. And can I tell you, if you are a husband and wife, consider yourselves a team for the glory of God. What can you accomplish as a couple? All right, look at it. Um, uh, They were tent makers by trade, by the way, and are mentioned several times in Paul's letter. In Romans 16.3, it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. What a simple, profound description. Helpers. Who are they helpers of? Paul, the apostle. Amazing. Watch this. Who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. Wow. Their ministry was not just a help to the apostle Paul. Their ministry was a help to all the churches in a New Testament era. These people had an impact. They were people in secular work, but they had a profound ministry in the lives of other people. Do we catch the vision of this? You're important. You're needed. They were helpers in Christ Jesus. That's a huge statement. All the churches were indebted to them. They were very instrumental in the work of the early church. Now, what made them so valuable to God. Well, let's let the scriptures answer that. Number one is this. They were committed to the gospel, to the message of salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. This was what they were committed to. Why do I say that? Because they were Paul's fellow workers. You weren't a fellow worker of Paul unless you were committed to the gospel. They worked secular jobs, but they used their jobs as an open door for ministry in the lives of other people. In other words, they saw their job the way we ought to see our jobs. A means of income, and that's it. That's it. Because we're not left here to simply work a job. We're left here as believers to serve Christ. And our jobs are just the source of income to where we can support our family to where we can serve Christ. But our job is not an end in itself. If your life is your job, you are out of sync with the will of God. Or if your job is your life, you understand what I'm saying. Mark 8.35 says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it or deliver it. So they were committed to the gospel, but secondly, they were courageous for the gospel. They were courageous for the gospel. So they not only were saved and knew they were saved, they not only had the gospel, but you know what they did? They shared the gospel. They shared salvation with other people. How do I know that? Verse four, they risked their own necks. That's a pretty graphic picture, isn't it? You know what it's saying. When we say, well, I'm sticking my neck out to do this, it means there's risk involved. Well, back then, that was a serious thing. It wasn't just that somebody may criticize you on the internet or on Facebook or something or on Twitter. What it meant is you could lose your life. You could be beheaded because of your faithfulness to Christ. And this is where they were. See, there is the fear of rejection and persecution, and yet they stepped over that. They went beyond that. And why do I say that's such an issue? Well, because in verse five, the church met in their house. Now, listen, 
I know there are house churches today. And by the way, uh, church buildings did not come until way, way, way down the road in the early church. But you see, you might say, well, I think we should go back to that. No, I don't think we should. We live in America where we can have buildings and we can meet together like this. And not only that, but with a congregation this size, good luck getting that in anybody's house that I know of. It's going to be rough, but we can do it here, right? We can do it here. Here's the point, though. These were days of intense persecution. Christians were being persecuted, and yet Aquila and Priscilla, who were tent makers, okay, they said, you know what? We are passionate about the gospel. We are passionate about the Lord and about reaching people. And you know, there are believers. And what we want to do is we just want to open our house where we can come worship together. Well, aren't you afraid of, well, you know what? There's some concerns, but God's in control. The Lord's going to take care of this. Now, I don't know about you, but that impresses me. I think that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's real discipleship to not be afraid. So what made them so valuable? They were committed to the gospel. They were courageous for the gospel. Three, they were personally strong in God's word. I want you to hold your place here and look back to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. They were personally strong in God's word. What am I saying? They had a genuine and deep understanding of the scriptures. As someone once said, We need to see the word of God as daily bread, not just cake for special occasions, all right? Daily bread, not just cake for special occasions. These people, they knew the word of God. Now, I think they had a grasp on scripture. One of the reasons was because they were so faithful in trying to reach others. If we are faithful in trying to reach others with the gospel, that's gonna drive us to the word of God, to where we have to learn and find the answers, to the questions that people are asking. What about you? What about me? Look at it in Acts chapter 18. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, he was mighty in the scriptures that he knew, but there's a lot he didn't get yet. So he came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Watch this though. Knowing only the baptism of John. So he was great in what he knew, but he didn't know what he needed to know. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla, there they are, heard, when they heard him, had heard, they took him unto them, Husband and wife, godly couple, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. The word perfectly means accurately or exactly. So what Aquila knew, or excuse me, what Apollos knew, he knew, but he needed to know some other things and he needed to know them in a more accurate, more exact way. Don't you see the beauty of this? They didn't mock him for what he didn't know. They didn't criticize him. They didn't cut him off. They said, no, you know what? Let's get with him and let's help him out. Now, you can't do that. You can't take him someplace you haven't been yourself. So they had an understanding. And look at what happened. And not only, by the way, did they have an understanding, but they knew they were godly enough to know how to do it. Let me tell you something. 
Some preachers are not open to correction or instruction. They're not open to it. They have too much pride. You wouldn't know it until you confront them. Years ago, we had a a student convention here and one of the speakers just kept messing up the gospel, messing up the gospel. So I thought, you know what? I'm gonna get with them. And we were hosting it as our building. I figured I'm not gonna disrupt the meeting, but I'm gonna get with them. And I sat down with him in my office one afternoon and, um, and I talked to him. I was as nice as I could possibly be. I didn't gang up in him. I didn't call him names. I didn't tell him he was, you know, anything. I just shared with him and I tried to encourage him in the truth. It did not sit well with him, okay? Now that's a shame because I did everything I knew to do in a right way. Hey, I'm a preacher, I understand. Anyway, that's not good. You wanna be careful. And Aquila and Priscilla were careful with Apollos because you know this guy was in the ministry. And yet they heard him, it's like, you know what? I don't think he understands some stuff. Let's get with him. You know, maybe they had him open over for some uh, falafels or something like that. Actually, if they were, if they were from the Greek, uh, the, the uh, uh, area of Greece and that part of the world, probably not falafels. What would they have? Gyros. Well, that's close enough. You know, some of these things. By the way, Mexican food. Have you ever noticed all Mexican food is basically the same? Isn't that funny how they do it? Now, I know some of you cringe at that statement, okay? But think about it. I haven't been to Taco Bell. We haven't been to Taco Bell in quite a while, but, but think about it. You go into Taco Bell. Isn't everything just kind of different amounts of different things, and they throw it together and give it a different name? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Don't be in denial now. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, I just throw that out there. Getting back to the point, they probably had him over and said, hey, you know what? We appreciate your zeal and enthusiasm for the things of God and all that, but we just wanted to just talk to you about some things. And so they did, and this man was so godly. He embraced it, he took it, and, he, and he, I'm reading into the text, okay, but I wouldn't doubt it if he said, you know what? I really appreciate you sharing these things with me. This is gonna be helpful. Because in fact, it was helpful. Look what it says. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, verse 27, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. He mightily convinced or convicted or uh, preached to the Jews, and that publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Jesus was Messiah. I love that. I love that. I love when I meet pastors who know the word of God. But I am really thrilled when I meet people who work secular jobs who truly know the scripture and are being faithful. They have a wonderful understanding of putting feet on their faith and reaching others for Christ. See, it's not just for pastors and their families. God expects all of us to be people of the word of God. That's why it says in 2 Timothy, study to show thyself a workman, okay? That, uh, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, dissecting it properly, okay? Understanding it, the scriptures, in context, and being able to share that with others. Okay, let's go back to Romans 16. 
So Aquila and Priscilla, giants in the early church, never went to Bible college, never went to seminary. They just took their Christian faith seriously and lived it out. And God used them in a mighty way. And he can do the same for you as well. Verse five, likewise, greet the church that is in their house, Aquila and Priscilla's house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So our third person is Epinetus, okay? He was a pioneer for the gospel, a pioneer for the gospel. You know, it's one thing to go place where the church is established and there's others who are like-minded and, and you come into a fellowship where there's like-minded believers and brethren and, and things are good and you work together and all that. How would you like to be in his shoes? He was the first one saved in Achaia, which is modern-day Greece. Now you might say, well, Oh, there wouldn't be a lot of people. No, it's more than that, friends. All the false religions, all the philosophers, everything else we know about Greece, all the false ideas, and here's this guy. He gets saved, and it's like, well, I'll tell you what, he sure has a mission field, doesn't he? He's the only one, but he got busy. He started sharing the gospel. Imagine what it would be like to be the first person in a totally heathen culture to accept the Lord, and that's who he was. Imagine the faith and the courage he must have had. You probably have not thought a lot about a penitus in your Christian life. Why? He's just one of those names in Romans 16. Yeah, but he's more than that. There's a life story attached to this man, and I'm glad it's in our text. Number four, many other faithful believers I'll just more or less list them in a sense here, verses 6 through 15, not to minimize their importance, but because of time. Verse 6, greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. There's a story there, isn't there? They spent time in jail with Paul. You think they were faithful? They were faithful. Who are of note among the apostles. Not only were they faithful, but all the apostles knew about them, how faithful they were, who were also in Christ Jesus before me. By the way, a little sidebar note here. There's a false teaching out there today. It's called ultra-dispensationalism, and they teach that the body of Christ did not start until the apostle Paul Anyways, it's false, and this proves it right here. There's other verses that prove it, but you notice that they were in Christ before Paul. What does that tell you? That the church was already going before Paul got saved. Clear evidence that the church age did not begin with Paul. Verse 8, greet Amplius, my well-beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ Jesus. Okay, this word approved means to be tried and tested and proven to be approved. In other words, the apostle Paul says, this guy's got the stamp of approval, a faithful believer. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household, okay? See, this is the stuff of reality. Verse 11, salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa. You would think they're related. Maybe twins, I don't know, but I think that's interesting. 
Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Don't think lightly of that word. That word is put there for a reason. They labor. That means they work hard in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which laboreth much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, Rufus was a common slave name back then, but it says here he was chosen in the Lord. This word has the emphasis on being select. There's a lot of ways you can go with this. I read this as saying he was a special saint. There was something special about him and about his ministry with others. Notice something about his mother, okay? It says, Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine, okay? Now, I think his mother and mine refers back to Rufus's mother. Paul considered, this is just the way I read this, Paul considered her, Rufus's mother, he considered her like his own mother, all right? This is interesting. She cared for Paul like her own son. Now, what a ministry for senior saints. Adopt a younger family that's on fire for Christ. See what you can do. Or maybe a a young person, maybe somebody, a young person's going to college. Maybe you can help them in their, in their Bible college education, or somebody's going off to the mission field, support a missionary, okay? The idea, though, is that you, you say, you know what? I want to have part in this person's ministry. Rufus's mother looked at Paul, and it's like, you know what? This guy needs to be taken care of. I'm going to help out taking care of him. Folks, these are just real things, What a ministry for seniors. See, our personal ministry is not over until the Lord takes us home. Always remember that. There may be things as we get older that we can't do that at one time we could do, but that doesn't mean we can't do anything. If we really want to serve the Lord, God provides opportunities for us. I visit some of our uh, seniors, and I haven't seen Earl in ages. It's like he lives in a high-security prison. Wally's moved out of Country Manor now. He's got a nice apartment back where he used to live, and that's going to be a little easier to visit him. But you know, when you go to visit, when, when we could go to visit Earl, you walk down the hall to his place, and here's a guy, he's over 90 years old. Over 90. And right there, he's got this little stool next to his front door, this little bench. And on that bench, he's got all kinds of literature from our church. People walk by, they see the literature they see the literature. Now, it's hard for him to get around. He's not driving now, but you know what? He's doing something, right? He prays. We'll have different things here at our school, at Northland Christian School, different times, and he'll he'll buy like a, a vegetable tray for the kids to have with their food, or he'll do this, or he'll do just different things, different things, trying to think, you know what? I just want to be a blessing. I just want to be used. That's it. That's it. This is for everybody. Verse 14, salute Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. 
Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now, again, when the Bible talks about saluting with a holy kiss, it doesn't mean, you know, you go up to somebody and you just kind of bring them down and give them a... (laughs) No, it was just like you see it today if you see any kind of video, people overseas, and this is just what they would do. They would go and they go up to them and they go like this, either side, okay? They're not weird. It's just the way, it's the culture that's the way they would greet each other. They give a hug. I know, by the way, this social distancing thing is killing some of you. It's killing some of you. You're huggers. It's what you are. Do you know what? Consider each other of value. Care for one another. Love one another. Serve one another. That's what these people were doing. Look at all the names. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? I don't know if Paul had a photographic memory or not. Probably not. Most people don't. But don't you think it's amazing with all the people that he saw and all the traveling he did, he remembered every one of these people by name. Might say, well, that was under inspiration. Yeah, but God used Paul. And these people came to mind when he was writing the epistle to the Romans. They came to his mind. These are people he knew. See, we can have an impact on the world around us. What's the point of all this? Number five. Well, it doesn't matter where you find yourself for there is a ministry to be fulfilled. There are people around you and around me that need to be one to the Lord. Friends, there are people in your life that I will never meet, but you have a responsibility of reaching them for Christ. There are people to be one. There are lives to be changed for the glory of God. Let me ask you this morning, are you doing it? Are you doing it? In other words, what are you doing with your life for Jesus Christ as a Christian? When we vote, we vote in our neighborhood at one of the churches down the road from us. And I wouldn't agree with the doctrine of the church, but I'll tell you something they've got right. As you leave the church parking lot, as you, you're in the parking lot and you, you kind of go up a little bit onto Clearwater Road there, it says this on a sign. You are now entering your mission field. That's what it says. Now, folks, if those people see it as true, what about us? See, we don't come to church and that's Christianity. No, that's only a little part of it. We come to church to get equipped so that we can go do the work of the ministry. That's the way God planned it to be. See, we think in terms of missions across the ocean, But oftentimes we run from the mission across the street from us. I want you to look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Today I've talked about service, working for God, being faithful, being courageous, willing to stick your neck out for the Lord, sharing the gospel, knowing the word of God, all these things incredibly important, incredibly important. But you know what? Somebody could hear that and they may think, okay, well, this is what I need to do to get to heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. None of the things I talked about will get you to heaven. None of the things I talked about will help you get to heaven. There's only one way you go to heaven. And it is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's the only way. I want to share this with you. Possibly you've never seen this before. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're live streaming us today. Maybe somebody gave you the link and said, watch this program. 
We want you to understand this, friend, and here it is. God loves you, but we've got a problem. We're sinners. If this hand represents you and me, we're going to let this wallet represent our sin. That's all the things we do wrong, all the things that we do wrong against the word of God. Here we are. We're all sinners. Yet the Bible says this, God loves us, but he hates our sin. He loves us, but he hates our sin. Now, heaven's a perfect place. Did you know to get into heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God? Most people think, well, I think I need to be good. No, you have to be sinless. You have to be perfect to get to heaven. Well, who is? Well, no one is because we're all sinners. And God says our sin has to be paid for. We've broken God's laws and there's a penalty. The wages of sin would be death. Eternal separation from God in hell. This is what the Bible teaches Now, religion, though, religion comes along, well-meaning people many times, and they'll say this, well, okay, you know, we've done things wrong, but if we promise God we're going to behave, if we reform our life and do good works and all that and, and get baptized and give money and go to church faithfully and teach Sunday school, turn from sin and all those things, those things will help us get to heaven. No, friend, a payment has to be made for your sin. The sin has to be gone. And the only way we can deal with it ourselves, in ourselves, is to spend forever separated from God, which is really no solution at all. So what are we going to do? See, good works won't get you to heaven. Look up here. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Good works won't do it. Good works won't take away the sin. So then what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do in ourselves. That's why we needed a savior. That's why God sent his son into the world. This hand representing Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God. And when Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sin and yours. He took all your sin upon himself and he made the complete payment so that you do not have to. He was buried and he rose from the grave and he says this, I've paid for all your sins. If you trust in me that I did that for you, if you believe in me that I did that for you, the moment you do, I will give you everlasting life. And it's a gift. It's a gift. Notice, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look at Romans 6.23. So clear. It says this, for the wages of sin, the penalty, that's the, the payment, for the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. Let me ask you today, will you receive the gift of God? Will you receive eternal life? Oh no, I I think I've got to do something for it. God says it's a gift. It says it there, it says it here, it says it many places in scripture. For you to say, no, you don't think it's a gift. By the way, gifts are free. If you don't believe it's a gift, you're not going to go to heaven when you die. See, God loves you so much, he did all the work. When you trust in him, the payment he made is good on your behalf. He gives you everlasting life. The gift of God is, notice it, eternal life. Please, friend, will you trust in Jesus Christ today as your savior? Based on the word of God, God can't lie. You can know that you have eternal life if you trust in Jesus Christ. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? 
To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.